ese hombre holding up the bottle. Look a little closer, cigar in Moscato. An actor in improv coming from Chicago. Auto, make way for Paul Vato. We can go. We can go horizontal, like like filmmakers, or we can go up and down, uh, like TikTokers. What What are you busting open? What kind of What kind of packs you got there? These are These are some garbage pail kids. I uh, I got real into uh, opening sports cards during the pandemic, as many people sure. did, and um, it became a real financial problem for me. And then it, it turned out that all I wanted to do was open stuff. So now I just go to the card store. And I go, what do you guys got? That's like, this is, so a box of like NBA cards is like 1200 bucks, 1500 bucks. These are, it's 70. So this, it's like, it's like, it's like nicotine gum. What a great idea. Have you pulled anything out of there that you're like, are there, is there any value to the garbage pail kids? I don't think there's any garbage pail. We call them hits. I don't think there's any hits in the garbage pail kids. Um, there's a couple that have these green borders on them, which I'm assuming is maybe like a little bit more of a limited print. Sure. Um, but, but I'm not sure. I, I haven't seen anything that's wowed me yet. You really do have uh, an addiction there, Joe. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say. I, I used to go through that. Uh, I just remembered one of the best deals I ever got. I went to a store, like uh, it was a big store, whether it was a Target, maybe even before Target. Uh, and this was back in the 1900s. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the packs at the time were maybe three bucks a piece. So they, they were probably like that. You know, yeah. was, was there 30 packs to a box? I'm guessing this maybe this box has uh, 24 packs. So, so I think it used to be about the same thing. And I'm like, uh, so I, I take I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll buy one box. I take it up to the counter. Uh, she rings it up. She goes three dollars, please. And I go, I'm sorry. She goes three dollars for the whole box. Uh, they had mislabeled them. I'm like, you oh. know what? I, I'm going to go buy some more. Oh, shit. So I I, I think I must have bought a gross. I must have bought 12 boxes. I took the whole box of boxes and, and you know, I, now I feel bad for doing it, but it was, it was from a big corporate store. So I think you would be proud. Um, and uh, that was my best deal with these trading cards. And I can't remember if they were football or baseball or whatever they were, but I really used to be into that as well. Rip, rip into packs and, uh, is that what they're called? What do you call it? Ripping packs? Ripping. Yeah, we call it ripping. Uh, we, they call it breaking also. Like if you're going to break a, a whole box of packs, it's called That's breaking. Right. Um, but yeah, those. it depends when in the 90s you got those. Basically what happened was um, when I was a kid, my dad got a little obsessed with baseball cards too. And then what happened was those years, they just got overprinted so much that they're actually almost totally worthless. Uh, most of the cards from the nineties, there's only like a few cards that are worth anything at all, but um, they figured out how to make things more rare and scarce with all these short prints and gold labels and mm-hmm. autographs to the big deal. Now. Uh, wonderful. I'll have to go look and, and see. I'm sure that maybe my mom still has them. I, I doubt it, but I also, I know I, I have some here that were like magic, the gathering, uh, uh, Star Wars cards. Now, like stuff that. from that area of of Magic and Star Wars actually does has retained its value a little bit more. So, as Magic especially. 
a wonderful. I'll have to go through my, my I've got a, a big binder, maybe this thick with just cards and cards and cards. So, you know, there's going to take and Pokemon to too, Paul, if you happen. I know that Pokemon was a little, you know, after your time as far as, you know, TV consumption. But if you happen to be at Target one day in 1996 and bought some fucking original Pokemon cards, those are pretty expensive now, too. I just met the uh, well, I mean, through a friend, uh, Jason Page, I think is his name. And he sang the original theme song to Pokemon. And he's doing a lot of, you know, signings and busting packs open. And he's actually he was here in Vegas yesterday or day before. And I, I meant to go uh, pay him a visit on Sunday and I didn't get to it. But uh, he's you know, he hits the Comic Cons and he, he does pretty well for himself with these with these packs. We got to. You got to get your own trading. Do you have one? Are you on any of these cards? I don't have one yet. There's like a couple people in the poker world who have had them. Um, Justin Bonomo, I think, has a tops card. Uh, Phil Helmuth, I'm almost positive, has had at least one or two cards over the years. There's like a couple of brands now that do. There's a brand of tops called Allen and Ginter that does like it's mostly baseball but there's also like fishermen and scientists and surfers and so i think i think that's the one bonomo uh, may have ended up in oh wonderful wonderful well for those of, of you that are just joining us uh welcome and thank you guys so much for being here thanks for joining us if you join us for both shows which it was kind of funny that the theme continued because it, it kind of the what ties it all in together is matt tv where i met you and where i met uncle chris Cluse. Uh, so thank you guys for being here. My, my guest today is Joe Stapleton. You might also know him as Stapes, and he does color commentary in the world of poker. Uh, and as Joe likes to say, I don't want to ruin your joke, but he, he's super famous to about 3,000 people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyone in the poker world uh, that, I, that I've ever met, even you know, casually playing, I mentioned Joe's name. They're like, yes, they get very excited to that, that they that, – uh, thank you, Joe, for taking time from your busy schedule uh, to be here and to do to do this interview. A pleasure. I love podcasts. It really makes me happy to be able to like tell a story. You know, it's uh, it's hard to tell a story on Twitter. It's hard to tell a story, uh, you know, in a Instagram post with podcasting. You know, you really get to get to the heart of it all. Sure. Well, I'm sorry, Joe, but that's all the time that. We- <laughs> Just kidding. That's another podcast that I do where, where I spend two minutes with a celebrity and I basically talk about myself. And then when they get to there, <laughs> I, I cut them off. So, but that's a different podcast. And I appreciate that you took the time to do that one as well. So I appreciate you. that people just, you know, still go to the effort to like make a joke like that. I can't like, I look at Twitter now and I'm just like, I, I don't even tweet jokes anymore. It's all shilling about podcasts or stand up or whatever. Cause I'm like, Man, putting stuff out there, like the gratification you get from it just isn't isn't commensurate with the amount of like abuse you get, like just and the amount of effort you have to put in, like just for putting yourself out there. And then you like go to the effort you did and do 40 episodes of like a 90 second podcast where you cut off your guest every time. And it's like a hilarious meta joke. And it gets like whatever, let's say it gets 5000 views, 10,000 views. And then some like mildly attractive mom lip syncs while she's making pancakes and it gets like 18 million views and you're just like what like why bother so thank you for for bothering paul <laughs> oh thank you joe I, yeah I, and it started out just as as a contest that rode r-o-d-e with that funny line through the o that those foreigners use um and it was a contest of you know of one to two minute podcast and i thought well what, what, what would be funny 
it was all last minute. I I almost didn't even submit it because uh, I forget, it's from Australia, so they're mm-hmm. like I don't know three weeks in the future or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Their fucking time zone worked, and uh, but I got <laughs> and and it worked. And and so I want to thank you though for taking the time to do that. And and uh, you have a podcast as well. What's what's uh, maybe at least. We can talk about that a little bit. And then- I have an award-winning podcast. We won uh, Best Poker Podcast this year at the Global Poker Awards, uh, and it's called Poker. Thank you, thank you. It's called Poker in the Ears, and uh, it's just sort of like a weekly behind the scenes of what goes on at Poker Stars. So, you know, if we are in Prague that week, it'll be oh, what happened in Prague? If we're doing the Spring Championship Online Poker, oh, what's going on in Spring Championship Online Poker? A lot of movie and TV talk. James and I, uh, it's me and James Hardigan. Uh, James and I, big movie TV fans. So it's like a poker and pop culture podcast. Quick hit, in and out every week, like an hour and 10 minutes. Usually interview. We tend to interview more like poker celebrities than poker players, which is kind of fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's th- thanks for the plug. No, of, of course, of course, because it's, it's such an entertaining uh, podcast. And it's, I mean, it's informational, but it's also so very entertaining. Uh, oh, thanks, Paul. Who would you consider, you know, poker celebrities versus, uh, I mean, is it more like celebrities that happen to play poker or just be in the poker world? Like, I don't know, your Ray Romanos and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, basically over the last couple of years, if there isn't something star specific for us to cover, we were like, well, what's something, what can we make the show about that's kind of evergreen? Um, You know, like during a pandemic, we weren't doing a lot of stuff. You know, there wasn't a lot of stars business to cover. So we kind of leaned into, hey, like Michael Sarah is a celebrity and he plays poker. I know it because he plays in my home game. Like we play on Zoom every week. Let's have Michael Sarah on the show. Let's have Michael Ian Black on the show. Let's have Aaron Sorkin on the show. Um, you know, Aaron had directed Molly's game, written and directed Molly's game. So we basically found a way to like sort of bridge the gap between like a poker podcast and an entertainment podcast. And a lot of the times the two things are completely unrelated but they are they are related and whenever we can. So, you know, we try to do a, a mix between like interviewing the guy that just won a million dollars online, but also like, oh, hey, for example, we would have had him eventually. God rest his soul. But like Willie Garson is like a friend of mine. Like he loves poker and he's an interesting person to talk to. So we kind of um, we kind of try to weave between those two worlds. Wonderful, wonderful. And I mean, it, just your journey from and I mean we could start way, way earlier you know where you're from where you were raised and all that how you yeah. wound up in Hollywood but uh, you know our, our connection started at Mad TV Sa- same with with uh, Chris Kloos whom I just interviewed uh, and thank you for coming up and, and saying hi to him uh, he's, he's such a funny guy and uh, it's very interesting what you have to say about him how he how he was one of the ones to reach out to you and whatnot so that that's wonderful that that he uh, that it's good to know that he's such a good guy like that because yeah, when you what were you doing at Matt TV? I remember you were working with the scripts and things like that. Yeah, so I I you know moved to LA because I wanted to be a comedian, uh, and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't do stand up. I didn't do improv. I kind of was like just sort of a funny person, and I think that that's not that uncommon for people who move to LA. They know what they want to do, but they don't know how to do it. Or as Chris said before, like I was actually kind of shy, um, which was you know, made things, it's a very difficult thing to overcome. So I got a job at Mad TV as a production assistant. I was the, the, the year you met me, um, Paul was the, I was, you know, a runner. I was getting coffee. I was, um, making copies, yada, yada. 
And um, I didn't, I didn't, I was very shy, even about sort of making connections. So Paul, I've known you almost longer than I haven't know you, known you, if that makes sense. I, I uh, met you when I was 20 years old. I got my job at Mad TV when I was 20 years old. And uh, just like in the case of Chris Cluse, I didn't really know who Paul was, except for that he was friends with like the cast. Like, so whoever he was, was like pretty important. And Paul was like a super nice, friendly dude that sort of bridged the gap. Yeah, like bridged the gap a, a lot of the time between like the little people and the big people because Paul was like, no, 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 if I'm having a party, everybody's invited. Uh, not just Keegan-Michael Key and Ike Barinholtz, but Joe Stapleton was getting invited too. And now all of a sudden I am at uh, a party with the cast and Paul Vato. So, you know, I, I kind of always looked up to you uh, – for for just being a part of that scene you know you're you're just everybody's buddy wow thank you man wow thank you. I, I forget about that sometimes but i remember yeah we, you, you you're probably talking about our parties over at smoke and mirrors which was an old ice cream factory so wait can i can i tell this story do you know how sometimes you have like a memory and you're like not sure if you remember it the correct way or if you just like told the legend of something so sure. did you used to throw parties in this big loft space, but to get there, you had to walk through a taco stand, right? You had to like go inside a taco stand, walk past the counter, and then go out the back door, and that's where your shit was, right? Correct. Correct. Sometimes I'm like, was that real? But it was. It was was on the the corner, and I I recently drove by there when I was in in LA. I was on the corner of Hollywood and Kenmore, and I don't, I think, I think that it might be a different type of restaurant now, but it was, uh, and, and it was, you were going through the business, but you were going through their, like their patio, you know, it's yes. LA, so a lot of people are outdoor. So you, you, you would have to know that it was back there and it was, you know, the walls were concrete. So it was silent. You know, there was a nightclub that was always getting busted a block away, but we, it was so insulated because it used to be an old ice cream factory. Uh, and so there were freezers, walk-in refrigerators. That was one of my, my bedroom. Was in that's a, a lot of insulation. That's a lot of insulation and and, and lots of creep factor because, you know, a woman right. wakes up in the morning. She's like, I'm already in a fucking fridge. Like, what's going <laughs> on? So there was and, that. And then, Paul, yeah. there was the, the fact that I've dined out for years that the cast of Mad TV was at my 21st birthday. You probably don't even remember this, but. I turned 21 years old and I went to Vegas and you were there with Ike and Bobby Lee and yep. Josh Myers and Mo Collins. And you guys were like, Oh wait, it's Stapes' birthday or Joe, Stapes, whatever you guys called me at the time. Um, it's Joe's birthday. And I basically me and my two friends from high school got the fucking party with the cast of mad TV for my 21st birthday. And you were a part of that too. Um, so, you know, and that's a story I've told for years and years and years. Um, Oh, and speaking of, in the last in the last episode, Chris brought up Mayan Bialik, who was in Blossom, and Michael Stoyanov was at my birthday. Also, yeah. I don't know who was friends with him or how. Like, I've is that yeah. you? He's your boy. I, I mean, he was he was really Ike's boy. Okay, I, I mean they they had already known each other from Chicago because he'd been in Chicago, uh, and so I just kind of became friends with Mike. Uh, and then I found out that he like, oh, that's the guy from from Blossom. Like, yeah. I didn't, even, you know, I had because I, 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 it was again like Pokemon. It was a little bit, you know, I was already a little bit older. I owned a business. I didn't have time to watch television in the in the nineties or or whenever you know those shows were on. 
And but then I was like, oh, of course he looks familiar. That's Mike Stolianoff. So he and I kind of, you know, had already been palling around. But I absolutely 100% remember that trip to Vegas with all those guys. We had some of the some of the best laughs on that trip. Uh, and I remember, I think it was Stolianoff that we're playing blackjack. And every time that we would win a hand, he'd yell at the at the casino like, "How do you guys stay in business?" Like, no, he said losers. Or I, I, I mean, you might remember that was, some that was part of it. He was like, he would every time he would, like the dealer would bust some blackjack, he'd be like, "You're terrible! Oh my god, you're the worst!" But then he used it. Him and Ike were doing this bit where. You know that, like, I think Ocean's Eleven had just come out, and there's like that 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 factor in Ocean's Eleven that like casinos have to have enough cash on hand to be able to like cash out every single chip, and so every time Mike or Ike would bet a hundred dollars, twenty five dollars, they'd look at the pit boss and go, "Can you guys cover this? Is this back there? Do you guys have this? Is this covered? If we bet this, is this? Do you guys have this?" And it would be like a two hundred dollar bet. They'd be like, "You guys good for this? Is it is that there? Can I see the cage? Can I see the cash?" I still kind of use that that joke uh, on uh, at, at sportsbooks. So you know, I became friends with Derek Stevens, who owns the D Casino and now Circa and um, uh, the Golden Gate. So he bets big. You know, obviously he can't bet at his own property, uh, but sportsbook. You know, he'll go. Uh, we'll place the bets over at the Golden Nugget or wherever. And you know, he's placing you know fifty, sixty, seventy, a hundred thousand dollar bets and winning and losing. You know, so I'll just do. I forget what it was, like 1% or uh, a tenth of a percent. Whatever he bets, I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm going to bet, you know, 1% of whatever he's betting. You know, he bets 100,000, you bet 100. Correct. Yeah. So whatever that number is, a tenth of a percent or whatever that is, or 1%, then that's what I'm that's what I'm betting. And um, and it works because I get to have fun and I don't, you know, because I don't get the $350 million a year to play with. So not to put his business out there, but, uh, you know, I would do the same thing where this just in casino owners do well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is from, this is from even before the casino business, this guy. So he, um, you know, and, and I remember he was cashing out and it was like 20,000 loser, 30,000 loser, 40. And then all of a sudden he gets to the big one, 60,000 winner, 50,000 winner, hundred thousand winner. And then I walk up with my tickets worth whatever, a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks. And I'm like, can you guys cover this? <laughs> look at it. And they're like, yeah, yeah. So it's it kind of that same dumb joke. Now from that trip, I also remember, and I don't know if that's the one where Jay, the Jay Johnston, do you remember Jay Johnston from Mr. Show? I think he might've joined us on that trip as well. I don't remember. Cause there were so many. I um, think I left. I think you guys stayed on. And if he did, it was after, cause I think I would have remembered that. I, I do have okay. photos um, from that week. I think I might've sent you some a, a while ago, Bobby, Bobby Lee. Um, what I used to dine out on this story. He, everyone to the steakhouse at the Monte Carlo for my birthday dinner. And Bobby goes, come on, let's go. And he walks away from the table with me and he goes, you do drugs. I go, no. He goes, uh, you drink. Yeah. He goes, Oh, come on. We're doing We're doing a shot for your birthday. And he goes up to the bartender. He goes, what's the most expensive, shot of tequila that you have. And uh, the guy's like, oh, he brings it. He's like, this is called the worm. It's like a worm shaped ball like this. this is $110 a shot. And he goes, okay, I'll have two of those. And uh, and he goes, do you like to chase it with something? I go, yeah, Miller Lite. He goes, okay. Now, mind you, I'm t- I've been 21 for like a day at this point. He goes, okay, two Miller Lights. And the bartender brings all the shots, Miller Lights. And the total bill's like 
210 bucks and Bobby just gives him 300. He's like, okay, um, keep the change. So I'm like, I'm just like, this is crazy. I've never even seen this amount of money in my life. And I go to, I'm like, okay, buddy, cheers. And he's like, no, 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 I don't drink. Uh, these are both for you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I down the two shots, grab the Miller Lite. I remember like sort of puking them up a little bit on the walk back to the table, but thinking to myself, okay, so at the time I was making, I was making $475 a week, which was the most money I'd ever even heard of a person making. And then Bobby just spent 300 on two shots and two beers. I was just like mind blown. It was like country boy hanging out with celebrities in Las Vegas. Like, and now that story, given that I work in the poker world and the amount of money, that I see just sort of thrown around on a weekly basis that wouldn't even move the needle really for me at this point. But at the time for like a solid 10 years, that was all I could talk about. That's a great story. And, and I was curious because I was like, Bobby at the time I knew he didn't drink, you know, cause he'd been sober since he was uh, a teenager, I think because of how hard he hit it. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was that same trip. There's so many things that happened on this trip, but the, you know, we, we get there uh, Rich told because I'm sure I think Rich Tellerico and I drove probably drove in with Ike because uh, I remember that we pulled up to Ike's place and Rich calls him and he's like Ike, there's two very bad men outside waiting for you. So Ike, you know, le- leaves his place. Well, Curson Club Curson where we used to go hang out and jumps in, in the car and then and then you know we're like oh we're gonna get hookers we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and Ike goes all I know is I'm not gonna pay a lot for this muffler. So <laughs> I don't know why. That line has always killed me. I don't know, but I'm not going to pay a lot for this muffler. We're like, no, 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 we won't have to. We'll talk girls into sleeping with us, whatever. So, uh, so you know, we drove there. And then I think the first person we see is Bobby Lee, and he's in a full-blown panic attack. He's like uh, – because, you know, I think he was doing pills at the time too, though. Yeah, because he, he had a whole thing of pills that uh, I think he accidentally gave Ike Vi- uh, Viagra or something. I forget what happened. But uh, Bobby Lee's like, I, I can't breathe. I'm so thirsty. I can't breathe. And Rich is like, uh, what do you need, Bobby? He goes, I need, I need some water. I need some water. So Rich goes up to the bar uh, at Monte Carlo, right? Is that That's where we, we were You guys were staying at Monte Carlo, yeah. Yeah, we were at Monte Carlo. So so he, we, he goes up to the bar and Rich is like, and, you know, Rich is so nice. He goes, I mean, you know, he, he, he was kind of aware of who was there. And he goes, one, two, three. So he goes, uh, you know, seven bottles of water, please. Because he didn't want to just get one bottle. So he gets seven and. And then the guy's like, you know, forty some dollars or whatever it was. And Rich, uh, you know, here's fifty. Keep the change. So he, <laughs> he comes back with with these seven bottles and he starts handing them out. Well, first he goes right to Bobby. He goes, "Here you yeah. go, Bobby." And Bobby takes it. And I think maybe even I was helping him. No, no, no. I think he had them all. So I remember that we're all standing there, and Bobby takes the lid off and goes, takes the world's tiniest sip, <laughs> puts the fucking lid back on, and hands it back to Rich and goes, "Thank you." And Rich is like, and then Rich is trying to hand these to people. And I, by the time he got to me, everyone's like, no, I'm good. I don't need water. I'm not <laughs> I got to do the same thing. I'm like, no, man, I'm fine. So here's fucking Rich walking around with eight bottles of water. But the funniest thing was Bobby just going, and he really thought he needed it. He took the, and just, he goes, I'm, I'm good now. Rich is like, what the, he just spent 50 bucks on nothing, you know. And again, I think like now that we, you know, now if you're around the poker world, it's like pennies to these people that are losing a million or playing for a million or buying in for a hundred thousand, whatever. I mean, it's crazy. The, 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 the way the money flows in Vegas and in the poker world, but man, those are some great stories. Uh, 
I remember, I think Stolyanov was there. It was him and, and Josh Myers. Yeah. Josh was getting tired. He was falling asleep. He was at the table. We were at the roulette table. And he would take – so he would just take his chips and kind of like throw them on the table and then spread them out and then kind of like pass back out. Uh, but I, I think he was doing more. He throw them and then like rub the table with the chips and then wherever they kind of landed, that's where – and he kept hitting – so much so that the pit boss or, you know, floor managers, as they're called now, like started like looking under the table and it must have been because of Ocean's Eleven. You know, he's looking under the table like, what are these guys doing? And then Josh would fall asleep. And the second the thing would hit, he'd wake up, he'd <laughs> get his money, spread it out again like a maniac when he could, you know, as soon as he was allowed to. And, and we did that, I don't know, for an hour, 45 minutes, whatever. And it was just uh, they thought we were up to something. Um, I think that's also when, you know what? So now when Jay Johnson showed up, they, I think all went to a strip club and Jay was wearing like the Huntress Thompson, that see-through hat, the, the visor (laughs) shorts. Uh, and Rich and I were playing craps and we were on probably the best, one of the best heaters I've ever been on so much so that we were pretending that our arm was encased like in a golden case and it every time <laughs> have to like take it out. Like I would go like this and take his arm out of the case. And the you know, the, the people were like, come on. But Rich probably made a couple thousand and I I didn't bet as much on myself. So I probably made half that. Do you remember? I remember it was either yours or Rich's craps bit, which was come on seven. Come on seven. <laughs> come on seven come on seven, seven yeah there was also like you want some peanuts oh i don't <laughs> but, yeah come on <laughs> that, thank you thanks for reminding oh there's so many good bits that, that that we did in that trip so thank you i think i mean it, it was great to have you there and i'm glad now, did you just happen to randomly be going there for your birthday, and then we were going, or did we just all go like, "Let's go"? Because Stapes, it's, it's I Stapes. got. I think I got lucky that you guys were already going, and then once you found out it was my birthday and that I was going, people were like, "Absolutely, let's go!" Like, let's all hang out. Um, you know, it was the cast was like that. Um, Ike specifically, Mo Collins was on that trip. Also, um, Mo is the first person to ever invite me into her home. You know, we would make these script deliveries late at night. And she was like, do you want to come in? And I was like, no, of course not. But thank you. And that was just like a nice thing um, for her to offer. Uh, Bobby obviously um, can be, you know, when when Bobby's. I don't know what Bobby's like now because I haven't really had a conversation with him in like, uh, I don't know, 15 years. But um, Bobby back then could be the most generous person and like just go above and beyond for people and like has this really gigantic heart. Um, if you can get through the, the, the hard candy shell, which I think is thicker now than it was then. But, um, but he's the one, he forced me to do stand up comedy for the first time. He's um, very inspirational when it comes to that, because I, you know, I would talk to him about that and he said, you know, you, you really haven't lived till you've actually bombed on stage. And I don't know what advice he's given you, but I, <laughs> You know, because he was and he was always, uh, you know, he'd always come off stage and go like, oh, that was horrible. And I, and so I would agree with him a lot of times just because I, I was like, that's not true. You don't uh, you can't believe that because he was such a brilliant stand up and he always has been. You know, I never saw him not, you know, I never saw him bomb. 
but he was always like, that was horrible. I did horrible. And I was like, Bobby, you killed it. So I would just get tired and go like, yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> I, uh, yes, I, I didn't spend that much time with him, so I don't know what he reacted. But he did seem like a self-loather, um, you know, as many, many comedians are. It's better. It's why comedy and poker are like very similar because you'll meet a lot of poker players um, who kind of feel the same way where they'll go, ah, I'm just, I played it so bad, except the opposite, right? Where it's like comedians who think they killed no matter what. That's what poker players are like. When you're like, dude, you definitely did not kill. Like maybe that was okay, but man, what, what world are we living in? Right, right. And uh, that, that always worries me about doing stand up because it's like, I don't want to have uh, laughing ears. We're like, oh, I killed it. Did you hear everybody? You're like, no, no one was laughing. Like, it was horrible. <laughs> it's, it's, it, most comedians, if anything, go the other way. Yeah. Uh, like Bobby does. Bobby being like, oh, that sucked. I sucked. And then um, really, it was probably at worst fine and at best at pretty worst, good. It was never that. It was always yeah. kill, kill, kill. I never saw him not kill. Uh, he was just, and so I was happy to then see him become also great at sketch and acting. Cause I know it was a little rough for him at first because he came from the world of standup and then he's dealing with people like my, you know, like Ike and Josh and these people that come from a sketch background that aren't yeah. too nice to people that don't come out of, you know, Chicago and that training, but through no, through no fault of Bobby's, you know, but he became, I think a great sketch artist and, and actor and whatnot. He's the first guy to take me down to Tijuana. So, Oh my goodness. Cause I, <laughs> Because I had a car. I think. Oh my god! Wait. Okay. So wait. Hold on a second. Did we? Did you ever go with us? No. So I'm not. I don't. I don't know what the laws are or what's public or not. So all I say is, I remember one other story about that Vegas trip, and I believe it was that you and a member of the cast drove out to Pahrump. No, I, I would tell you though. Yeah. Some okay. A member of the cast told me a story about driving out to Pahrump, which is where the Bunny Ranch is. Sure. And when he got there, there was only like one or two girls working. And, um, and he wasn't that into them. So they went and because it was like five in the morning. And then they went and woke all of the girls up and lined them up for him to choose. And he said that none of them were very physically attractive, specifically like their bodies. He wasn't, he wasn't into it. He said, except for one girl that had a very, very attractive body, but her face had been very badly burned. And so he had to make a decision between, and he's like telling this story to the entire production office. Like, this is not like something he told me in confidence. This is him like announcing this story to everyone at work. And I think he ended up choosing uh, the second of the two options, but this was like an overshare of epic proportions that I believe also happened on that Vegas trip. It very well could have. And I've never heard that story. I wish I, and, and uh, uh, so and I would assume that that was Mike McDonald. No, I'm kidding. You <laughs> <laughs> have to tell me who it is either later, unless you want to share it. Cause he told it to everybody. Uh, but I know I was not involved in that. And I, I, I wish I, I would have, I mean, if it was at five in the morning, I mean, we were probably doing our own thing and then they yeah, right. do that. But that is a great, great story. I mean, what, a, what a choice. What a choice. Uh, so <laughs> now I remember, are you the one that invited me to that party now that we're revealing things? Uh, 
by USC where it was a bunch of like young USC girls. And it was maybe Valentine's Day, a f- like early on. Was that you? Yeah. So I believe, I believe you're conflating two okay. parties. I think the week prior, I invited you to a party at USC, and you and I ended up like getting along really well with like some twenty-year-old girls, um, which for me really wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know how old you are, Paul. I was twenty-one at the time, right? So it was definitely age appropriate for me to be there. Although I'm weird talking about it now, but then the next week. I had a Valentine's Day party at my apartment, and yes, somehow the most of the cast showed up. Ike came, Josh Myers came, you were there. I can't remember if Mo Collins came or not, but like a whole bunch of people I was never expecting to come, and the girls we had met at the USC party were also there. And I definitely have a ton of photos from that night uh, eventually too. At some point, oh, I remember. Here's a funny story about that night. Josh Myers was there and um, Seth Myers, obviously Josh's brother is on SNL at the time. And Jennifer Garner was hosting the show and Josh needed to go in and watch SNL in my bedroom while this party was going on. And there was a sketch where um, Jennifer Garner makes out with Seth and Josh stormed out of my bedroom, slammed the door went downstairs, like, was, like, had a real, was, like, furious that his brother got to kiss Jennifer Garner. <laughs> Why would he be pissed? I'd be so happy for him. I know. He was, he was livid. He was so mad about it. Oh, my God. So, yes, I kind of am confusing these, these two, uh, conflating these two stories. Uh, but because I remember that then, because I have some photos somewhere also, because I remember it was... Uh, I'm I, not making sounds like such a hard hard word and, and maybe inappropriate, but I was encouraging them to make out and kiss each other. Uh, and I remember I, there was one photo of me like this with these two girls making out in front of me. And then, and I maybe I had a glass of wine and maybe a cigar on the other hand. I remember I this photo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm still, you know, friends with, now this girl's married and I think, and has a kid. Oh, you've kept but, in touch with them? Not, well, Every now and then I'll get a message, you know, through Facebook or Instagram. But as time has gone by, not okay, some, okay. but the main one that she and I, and, and I, I, this is horrible because I, yeah, I was a little bit older than, than you guys, but I thought, you know what? We actually went to Vegas for her, I hate to say it, for her 18th birthday. <laughs> so let's back up. Let's back up. Because at that party, I was, you know, we were getting very chummy and very pally. And it was Josh Myers, that that uh, that uh, do-gooder who comes up to me. And I I, I thanked him. He, he goes, Vado, he goes, you know that those girls are 17, right? And I go, what? And and then I go, but they're like USC. And then I remembered. I was like, well, fuck. I went to college. I was 17. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's why when it was kind of like hands off, you know, nothing's, not, nothing's going to happen. But then the following week, I'm at Beauty Bar. You know, my friend owned Beauty Bar and Star Shoes, Johnny Nixon. I'm at Star Shoes. And maybe it was the day that Bjork was spinning there. Uh, well, she was hitting play on her laptop and, you know, uh, a DJ. Right. And uh, who do I run into but this group of girls 
and and the girl obviously that I liked. And then I was like, well, how how can she be seventeen? I go, Josh was lying to me, you know, when she's in a bar in Hollywood. But I was still like very, you know, like no, you know, let's let's not, you know. But then she goes, I want to go to Vegas for my eighteenth birthday. I'm like, there it is. Yep. So we ended up going to Vegas, and, and you know, nothing untowards happened. I'm, I was very respectful. Uh, but uh, I do remember then, and and, and she was. Uh, maybe trying to marry another girl at the time or something. You know, she's, you know, kids, they're so uh, gender fluid. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but th- that, that, uh, but I thanked, I thanked Josh for, for saving, <laughs> not that anything would have happened, but uh, yeah, you got us into that situation. So I, 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 I feel like you threw better parties than we did. Uh, yeah, but you know, youth basically, and not, the thing is I was too young to, to care about any of that or to know that any of that was like an issue at all. I, you know, I was barely not a teenager myself. So um, now if I threw a party, you know, you got to worry about so much stuff. I mean, we literally threw a, a party with two apartments in the same complex and just left both doors open. And it was like a connecting party. Like who can do that after age 30? Right. No, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, no. And, and I remember, I remember being there. I, God, it's so long ago, but I, 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 I re- sorry, I just froze. I remember being there and, and great times, great, great times at, at your, at your parties and, and the, the mad TV times. So where did you move from? Where, where, where did you grow up? I mean, just, just to quickly touch base, cause you said you country boy. <laughs> uh, no, I, not, I mean, I'm from Albany, New York, which, which is a city. It wasn't really the country, but just sort of when people ask me to describe Albany, I say it's like Alabama with snow. Um, it's just, you know, anytime you're not in a major metropolitan area in the U.S., I, I think people are pretty similar, you know, even though it's even though it's New York, it's a lot of trees. It's a lot of chainsaws. It's a lot of country music. Um, you know, it's America. It's the real it's the heartland of America. So that's that's kind of where where I'm from. So all this stuff about uh, moving, you know, to LA it really has, you know, shaped who I am over the years too, because I was a, without getting too political, I was a pretty conservative person when I moved to Los Angeles because uh, I was raised to believe work hard and good things will happen for you. And everyone in this country starts off at a level playing field and that's the best thing about it. And as long as you um, are a good person and work hard, uh, all your dreams will come true. And I didn't realize that that is true for some people and it's not true for some people. And there are some people it's more true for, and some people it's less true for. Uh, but I didn't know that because all I knew was me and my life and what I saw around me and didn't understand that like lots of other different situations, um, you know, exist in the world besides me and what I saw in my hometown. And so, uh, you know, the, 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 the time I, I spent in LA, really, really showed me that there is a pretty big cultural difference between uh, a lot of the places we come from. And you've been pretty vocal about that on, on social media and, and whatnot. So do you think that that's affected you either negatively or, or, I mean. Uh, Yeah. I mean, look, I know for a fact that I've, my bottom line that I probably would have made more money over the years in my various endeavors. Um, if I'd stayed quiet about certain things, if I had not been uh, vocal, if I had just stuck to comedy or st- 
stuck to poker. I absolutely, for a fact, know that I would be, uh, that I w- would have worked more when I was freelancing. Um, luckily, now I work for a company that really doesn't bother me uh, about what I say when it comes to politics. And for the most part, I think they're on board uh, with most of, you know, we, we have similar beliefs. The, you know, this big divide we have in this country isn't 50-50. It's something like 65-35 at best. It's more like, you know, 70-30. It's not a, a big group of people that, you know, that all believe a certain ideology. And so, you know, my company is like, just just don't go crazy with it. But like, if you want to speak out on what you think is right, like they don't fuck with me. And I appreciate that very much. Um, you know, when it comes to matters of our industry, they have a little bit more of an opinion. But if I like want to retweet something for trans rights, like they're not going to bug me about that. And I, and I appreciate that. Wonderful. No, that's great because, uh, you know, a, a lot of times as a business owner uh, and, and, you know, I have to be careful and, you know, of course I'm in Vegas with casino owners and they're very, you know, right wing and, and they can be conservative. To, yeah. Be very conservative, you know? Mm-hmm. So of course they, they, they want to protect their money and, and the things that they've, you know, worked hard for. You can't take that away from them. But, but, but so, so thank you, you know, on, on our behalf, sometimes that we can't say something or which we should, you know, I should say, well, 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 who cares? You know, if, no, if, dude, listen, I actually, I, 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 I've, I'm in a position of privilege in many ways. And one of them is that my, um, sorry, just weird text message coming through. One, one of the drawbacks of doing it on my phone. Um, where was I, Paul? Sorry. No, that, that, that uh, you have this ability or maybe this. Oh, right. The privilege to be able to not only just, you know, the, the, the white male straight privilege I have, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the privilege that like my, business, my livelihood, I don't have to choose between my livelihood and being able to say something. Mm -hmm. I don't have to choose between feeding my family and being able to say something. And for those people who err on the side of staying in business and who err on the side of want to be able to put on the food, food on the table for like me and my family, I don't fault those people. You know, we can like really demonize people like you know, it's like a lot of sports guys, right? For example, it's probably the best example. Sports guys that I wish would use their platforms and speak out on some of this stuff, but they don't because, you know, it's going to alienate a huge portion of their audience. And that's, I get that. And that's okay. And I don't expect, I do kind of wish people would do that, but when they don't, like you can't, you can't blame somebody for not wanting to torch their entire career, um, you know, for something that you think is, is right. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. Well, it's wonderful that the company that you work for or work with, you know, Poker Stars uh, affords you that and, and you know, and, you know, uh, support you and allow you to do that. That That's wonderful. How long have you been uh, representing Poker Stars? I started Poker Stars gave me my big break on television in 2009. And um, I was freelancing for like the next 10 years or so, but mostly worked for them. Um, I've done thousands of hours of poker commentary for poker stars, hundreds of episodes of TV shows, um, online, live, all over the world, th- three continents. I wish Panama counted South America because then it would be four. Um, but unfortunately, it's still Central America, which is North America, which is annoying. Anyway, um, so yeah, I've been with them for a really, really long time. And it's been cool because um, they're the Yankees. Uh, of uh, of online poker you know they just uh run a classy organization and uh 
you know, have, uh, have, have a white cast, a wide net and put out a great product. And so uh, I've been lucky to be able to, to hang with those guys for so long and to not, to not have had a real job since, mm-hmm. since basically 2009. That's fucking crazy. Amazing. Amazing. No. And well, that is your job and it's really refreshing. Every time that I tune into a poker stream or anything, you know, on YouTube or anywhere, 90% of the time, it's your voice. I mean, it's it's you doing commentary. So that's amazing how many thousands of hours you've done. Now, did that lead to you for you to do stand-up? And did you get that? Did you start doing that when you were – because how long did you live in London? Yeah, so um, so remember when I said I moved to L.A. to be a comedian and didn't really, like, do anything? So Bobby made me do stand-up, like, in 2003 or four, and then I didn't do it again till like, 2012. Um it was, I was, I was painfully shy. I took a couple of improv courses, but I used to get really sick to my stomach. Um, the, even the thought of going to do stand up again made me terrified, but beyond belief. So I kind of just like was a poser, was like a comedian poser for a long time. And when I got my job in the big game in 2009, no, I hadn't done stand up yet. And basically what happened, I mean, other than that one time, um, and basically what has happened was when I, when black Friday happened and online poker got banned in the USA officially banned. Um, I basically ended up cut to 18 months later, ended up moving to England. Um, because my company, as I said, poker stars is always really done right by me. And they said, Hey, uh, we're out of America, but we still broadcast in English, like in a lot of the rest of the world do you want to come work on the European poker tour instead? And I said, I very much would like to stay on television. Um, and so I moved out to England and we were doing one episode a week, which is a lot uh, in TV, right? It's 52 episodes in a year. That's a ton of episodes, but it wasn't a lot of days of work for me per week. It was only like two days a week. So I was like, you have no excuse now. You're going to go out and do stand-up comedy. You're going to go out two or three nights a week and get up on stage. And I did it. Um, and I forced myself into doing that. And now I am an okay stand-up comedian. We're talking 10 years later. Uh, you know, I've had some good moments along the way. I don't think I was ever very bad at it. Um, but, you know, now now I can do that. Now I can go out and confidently. In fact, in fact, Paul, I'll get a plug in here. I'm hosting at the Brad Garrett Comedy Club June 27th to July 3rd in Las Vegas at MGM Grand. So if anybody wants to come out for that i'll give you the old i'll give you i'll buy you a shot <laughs> of, of the most expensive tequila not of the most expensive tequila. i mean you paul yes Every, i don't know <laughs> tiffany probably yes yeah but that's it <laughs> ah, i love it okay so tiffany you're gonna have to come to vegas with us um who's the first person to bring you to vegas i think that trip when i went on my 21st birthday was my first no, trip to I, vegas I, I, I mean, to do stand-up. Oh, to do stand-up. Well, do, you're the right? first person. You're the first person that got me my name on a marquee. That's what it was. Okay, I knew. Yeah. I knew I had something to do with it. And of course, yes. I want to make about a little bit more. You about got it. me that spot. I will say that that's one of the few times that I I consider. I think I've bombed maybe five times in my life, and I consider that night to be one of the biggest bombs I've ever had. Really? Wow. I don't remember the the bombing part, but but I'm, I'm glad you. Uh, you, you came out for that, but uh, but now look at you—you're you're on the strip. My goodness, I mean that's what every comedian's dream. 
is 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 to be I think on the on the Vegas Strip, that's that's one of the for sure. It's one of the benchmarks, right? Like you know, having your name on the Comedy Store, you know, being on a a certain marquee, playing the Vegas Strip. Yeah, definitely, definitely up there to be able to just say, you know, I've been doing gigs in Vegas the last few years. We have a deal with the, this place called the Space, um, where we've been do I've been like producing my own comedy shows. And um, that was pure ego, by the way. I didn't realize how much work it is and how much pressure it is. I'm like kind of over that. It's my own show. Come, but no, it's like filling the place every month. Anyway, uh, I've been doing, I've been doing that for a while. But uh, it, getting people to go off strip, even though it's like a five minute drive from Aria, it's like, where is it? Oh, okay. Uh, and if I go, it's at MGM. That's an easy sell, right? It's being like, oh yeah, no, it's at MGM. It's like in a casino, bro. Right, which was probably even more difficult to get to if you're in the casino next oh, door. Oh, for sure. You to jump in an Uber and get to the space, which which is a great space. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I look forward to, to you doing more stand-up out here in Vegas. And I'm going to – I can help you out any way that I can. Thanks, you know, buddy. I will. And, and I've got a meeting set up for you with uh, with the L.A. Comedy Club guys, with the owners. Oh, cool. So when you come out here, like May 20th, around that time, by all means, we'll – We'll, we'll have a little sit down and hopefully you can do something with them as, as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. 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 And uh, any, are you promoting anything else? Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or what should we touch on? And I'd love to do this again, Joe, because you're, you're such, such so great to interview and uh, you brought back so many memories that I, that I hadn't even thought of in so long, but, those were some great times at Matt TV, man. I'm not big on instant nostalgia. Like if someone takes a picture of me on a night out and then wants to show me the picture right away, I'm like, I'm fucking good. I was there. I was literally there five seconds ago. Like, I don't need to see this photo. However, these stories from Matt TV back in the day, back when, you know, when in our former lives, when we knew each other hanging around that soundstage, those are memories I haven't touched on in a long time. So it's nice to, uh, to, to, to be able to dig some of those up stories that I used to tell all the time that are just out of my rotation now. Um, so yeah, good, good stuff there. Ha- happy to be here, Paul. Um, let's see. I plugged the podcast poker in the ears. You can get that anywhere. You get podcasts like which iTunes. Is, which is a great name. I'm a big fan of puns. You know, at Binion's casino, we had that. Obviously it's based on that old joke, uh, liquor up front poker in the rear. And it was literally the bar was right there outside on Fremont street. And then the poker room, when we had one was straight back. So the sign was, was factual liquor up front, poker in the rear. So poker in their ears is a, is a great name for, for, and that's exactly what you're doing. You're putting poker in people's ears. I love Yeah, it. exactly. So look at this, right? We got a whole bunch of people are these spam girl accounts that are joining us right now, right? As we're wrapping things up. No, no wait, I, I, are we wrapping? No, no, no. These are all, leg- that's the nice thing about fireside is that it's actually real people. Uh, and if you have time, I don't know if you, if you if, uh, I don't know what your time is like, but if, if you want to invite anyone up or we can open up, <laughs> they can come and ask questions or they can flirt with us, you know, whatever. I wasn't sure what your plan is for this show, but please don't let me. I'm up. I'm up for whatever. Wonderful. W- would you be up for for answering a few questions? And I, I realize I never put anything in the fortune cookie, that fortune cookie that scrolls. We can always add your website. We can do things like that. Oh, I that's just, OK. We're all right. Yeah. Uh, am, am I crooked? Am I, am I right? Or, or is it, I, I'm not worried about you. I was just trying to, there is something in the fortune cookie. We have so much in common. It's a shame they'll never meet. Hold on. 
parallel lines. Parallel lines have so much in common. It's a shame they'll never meet. Okay. Ah, funny. All right. Witty. So, so that's usually what happens. So I might have to step away for a second and get my phone charger because I just, I, I, just, I forgot that, you know, I did. A, a, Let a, me ask you a question before you do that. Yeah, buddy. What are the chances that I'm going to agree to answer audience questions and you're going to open it up to the floor and no one's going to ask me a question and I'm going to look like a fucking dick? Well, maybe there's one person that likes poker. Because I don't like looking like a fucking dick. <laughs> well, too late, Joe. Too late. <laughs> are you agreeing to be here? Um, well, if anyone would like to come up, uh, raise your hand. And I think I know how to do this. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you up. Or if you have any questions, you can drop them in the comments, I think. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Paul, you go get your charger. If you guys ha- have a question, indicate this, that in some way while Paul's gone. But when he comes back, if there's no one that's asked anything, we're going to pretend like this never happened. Well, here, let me make you a producer. Because then this way you can invite people up. I think that's how this works. I'm like, I'm, I feel like Uncle, like Uncle Chris that I just interviewed. I'm like, I'm 70 years old. Let's see. Make them a producer. So now you have full production control. Okay. I'm going to turn the camera off while it's I my go. dream come true. Turn off the production control over a Paul Vato. A Paul Vato production. Let me, yeah, let me, let me go get my charger. Oh, here we go. We've got all these. I'm going to react to the show. How about that? I'm giving this show a thumbs up. Send. Oh, look at that. So, yeah, as soon as we started talking about bringing people on stage, Roxanne left, Stephanie left. We still got Tana, though. Tana and Tasha. All right, Tiffany. I don't think anyone's putting a question through, so it's all good. Let me add speakers. Should I just invite everyone and see what happens? Sure. If you want to force them to ask you questions. No, you know what? I, yeah. I, I don't. This, this is what I like about stand-up comedy is um, it's, a, it's really one-way communication. All I want, the only thing I want coming the other way is praise. I don't really want to talk to people. I want to talk at people. <laughs> exactly. What's your website? Let me add it to where the fortune cookie is. Uh, I, it, my website's embarrassingly bad, but I guess I'll give it out. Actually, this is a funny story. So I couldn't get stapes.com cause it's, you know, obviously like a fairly sought after website in general. Um, so what I did was I registered stapes.com.com. So if, <laughs> you, if you spell out stapes.com and then put a .com at the end of it, yes, that'll take you to, that should take you to my very, very bad website. Or, do, or do you, would you rather to send people somewhere else? Stapes.com. Stapesfan.com, I believe, is, is, the, is the website. But no, I don't really – I just – I'm just so bad at this admin. Like, I just want to make people laugh, Paul. I don't want to build a website. I don't want to learn SEO. I don't want to fucking program. I just want to make people laugh. Right, 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 right. No, well, that's the thing. Uh, I, and I think that maybe that's what, you know. And even nowadays, even if you get a manager or, you know, because you and I kind of chatted about that, it's still like, oh, okay, but you still have to do all your own all your own shit, like your own social media, your own websites, your own. So it's like we need to maybe form some kind of company that helps stand-up comedians and 
just the admin of being a stand-up comedian, like the, doing your plugs at the right time, like adding, you know, just giving people information, how to get to your show, all this stuff is just very, um, it's just all takes away from the comedy part of it. it. Yeah, it really does. And like you said, all you want to do is make people laugh. I hope you don't mind. I went vertical just because. All good because I have to move it closer to my charger. The only reason I can't be vertical is because my headphones are plugged into the bottom. And so it won't stand up. Ah, so I hope you don't mind that I'm vertical and you're horizontal. It's okay with me. I don't know if the, you might want to ask the, the four and a half people who are watching. Well, the nice thing is though, this lives on the platform. So I'll bet if we come back in, in a week or two, you'll see that there've been quite a few replays. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that's what I like about this. I'm also able to download it. Uh, and then re-upload it as a proper podcast. Not, not that this is not a proper podcast, but as a podcast, whether it's on uh, you know Anchor or whatever I use. So you know, it's the same thing. If you wanted uh, a clip from this, for instance, we could always do that. Or again, it's more work. So I like that it's live. It once yeah. it's done, it's done because that's that's always what what uh, what messes me up. It's it's like I'm looking for perfection, and now I've learned it's you know done is better than perfect. Because I know that I would go through this whole thing and try to take out any of, of your ums, if you had any, I don't know if you did, or mine, you know, but I want to make my guests look great. But now that this is live, I think it's more forgiving and it lives on the platform. So, you know, if you ever wanted to come on, I'm sure if you applied to be a content creator on the platform, they would approve you. I, I think I got improved during this conversation. I got a text from them saying I was approved. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, this is, this is a neat little concept. Um like most things, I think it's cool, and I'll probably just do do nothing with it. But, um, but I'm happy to come out with you every once in a while, Paul. I love that because, uh, yeah, maybe we can reminisce about the the Matt TV days and stories that 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 uh, we remember. Because, yeah, you really jogged my memory, and you're right about that whole thing of like, hey, look, I, here's our photo. Like, yeah, I was just there. That's such a great joke too. That that or not. When's your next uh, gig? When's your next stand-up comedy gig? I am. Uh, it's actually at on May twenty eighth at the Space LV um, High Stapes Comedy. My show, my name on it. I, um, Jocelyn Sharp, local comedian, sure. is gonna is gonna is gonna headline uh, that particular show. I'm gonna MC uh, Ben Ludlow, uh, JJ Lieberman, and Mateen Stewart. I'm bringing Mateen in from LA. Mateen's really killing it right now. Hilarious comedians so yeah that's gonna be on may 28th uh you can get tickets at uh, at the space lv.com i believe is the website uh so yeah that's my that's my next gig it's in las vegas i love it I, well i can't wait till you come out for that because i'll definitely support and help promote it uh and whatnot and um what's next in poker i mean uh, uh, world series of poker is right around the corner do you have anything to do with that are you covering that or I will, if, if anything, I'll play at the World Series of Poker a tiny bit this summer. Um, but no, uh, next for me, poker wise, is we've got, uh, EPT, European Poker Tour, Monte Carlo. We haven't been in Monte Carlo in, um, three years, four years. So we are heading back there. I'm going to leave on Saturday. Uh, and May 2nd through the 7th, we'll be doing live poker coverage. Uh, from Monte Carlo. So that'll be fun to be back out there, back in the live tournament world. Uh, and then after that, um, so it's it's that, then the World Series of Poker happens. Then we've got EPT Barcelona in August, and I'm doing a show in Edinburgh, a stand-up comedy show at the Edinburgh 
Fringe Festival this year for the first time ever. So uh, like a 10 night run, 10 nights in Edinburgh. That's amazing. Cause that's, all, that's another one of those things that, that anyone who's in comedy uh, needs to strive to be at is Edinburgh at their, at their festival. Yeah. So. Turns out all you need to get into Edinburgh is money. Yeah. So that sounded like such a norm joke. <laughs> You're, you're, you're doing, turns out all you need is money. All you need is fucking cash. That's it. So uh, did you did you rent a space and then and then now you're promoting it or how how does? Yeah, I I, I got a guy. My this guy uh, Nathan, uh, a Scottish fan, reached out to me a couple years ago and he was like, "Let me handle this for you. I promise I'm trustworthy." Yada yada, and he more or less takes care of it for me. Tells me where to send my money, and. um yeah, we uh, we uh, you just book a venue. I got ten nights at ten p.m. Uh, right in the center of town, so it was relatively expensive. But I figured, hey, it's worth it. You know, um, what, what what are you gonna do? Let's. Uh, I'm at a point in my life where I'm not a starving artist, so I don't. You know, it's a little shitty the way the whole Edinburgh system works like that. But I'm like, well, let's let's check this out. Let's see. Let's see if. Uh, I don't think I'm going to have what Edinburgh likes. They want like a journey. And I specifically wrote in my act description that this is not a journey. It's like 45 minutes of dick jokes and cheap gags. So um, (laughs) come prepared for that. Well, I mean, but but you're part of the festival and worst is what they don't invite you back type of a thing or. Yeah. Or just, I don't win. I don't get well reviewed. I don't win awards or anything. Um, Yeah. But, uh, if you sell tickets, I think that's that's the the more important thing. And and you, I would imagine, then you get the tickets because you're running out the space. Is that how that works? I'm not legally allowed to work in the United Kingdom, so I believe um, someone else will be profiting off of this show. I'm not sure if it's going to be a charity yet or if I'm going to give away the tickets for free. But uh, I might be doing this just purely as a labor of love. Wow, wonderful. Well, same thing. I mean, we can help promote it. And so just at least to get full houses and packed houses. Thank you. And uh, do you have a YouTube channel or where can people see some of your standup or is it more Instagram or I don't doing- put a lot of my standup online because when people come out to see me and they pay 15 bucks for a ticket and they got a babysitter and they could be home watching Netflix or better call Saul. And then they, I want them to, when they come to see me, they haven't seen it all already on YouTube. Um, so I have very few clips online, but I have a couple out there. They're on my YouTube channel, which is um, youtube.com slash two jacks, Joe, T W O J A C K S like two jacks, like poker hand two jacks, Joe. I believe I got a couple of clips up there, but I'm getting less and less precious about putting stuff online. I just want to make sure it's the right stuff that I'm going to end up putting most of my pandemic material online pretty soon because I'm running out of time with that material being relevant anyway. So might as well. Wonderful. How'd you come up with two Jacks Joe? Is it just the alliteration? I mean, cause it's, that's such a bad hand in poker. It's like, I can never win with Jacks. I don't know. Uh, Jacks is one of the best hands in poker, but it was because my first podcast that was um, of my own, basically we, me and my, my partner, Scott Huff had a deal with a, a poker media company where we hosted some poker podcasts for them. But we said, Hey, we want a show, one show on your network that isn't poker. We want to do just comedy. And that was called two Jacks in the hole. Um, and that was supposed to describe me and Scott. So I just created that name. Like it was like two Jacks 
Scott to Jack's Joe were our Gmail handles. But no, Jax is one of the best hands, my dude. Really? Okay. Okay. Because I always seem, but then again, I feel like I'll, my aces always get cracked anyway. So who, who, you know, who knows? Now you mentioned something uh, the other day, and and I it, it's kind of stuck with me how you learn something. You can almost learn something new every day. Where, uh, and I don't remember what day that was, but what maybe what's the what's the latest thing that you've learned about poker that that uh, maybe changed the way that you think about it? Or I don't know if that's too broad of a question it, it's yeah so uh, i understand the question okay thank you it can't really uh, it's it's beyond my ability to re-explain it is how complicated it is um and it's not just one thing the way that poker theory has evolved over the last 10 years or so 10 to 15 years is the sort of thing where they they literally have to use supercomputers to calculate the sorts of algorithms and theorems that are being applied in poker uh, in the present day. Like, and it takes, you know, whatever's the hardest math problem you can think of, Paul, if you put it in your computer, how long would it take your, the computer to come up with an answer? A second? Under Maybe. a second? I mean, yeah, when they're making 60,000 or I don't know how many computations per second. Yeah, sure. Maybe so the world's toughest one. Yeah, it would take a second. Sure. The kinds of math problems these poker players are putting into computers take five minutes for it to answer, take nine minutes for it to answer. Um, so just imagine the complexity of these these theories that are being used to even get you to a point where that's how hard the math problem is. So poker is, it's like chess at this point. Like it is, there are um, infinite ways to think about the game and uh, and infinite moves that can be made at any point. It's really, um, it's really something how, how deeply, deeply intellectual it is. Having said that, there are still people that just have some kind of innate ability to play the game and could never word it in math problems or algorithms or, or, you know, or, or percentages, but just play by their gut and uh, their gut is right. A lot of the time. Wow. How do you think somebody like Stu Unger would do in today's poker climate? I mean, this would get me annihilated, but I think, People are like everyone like really reveres Stu. I think Stu would be completely out of his depth. Stu would be out of the game. Um, all likelihood that he just wouldn't be able to compete at today's level. But who knows? You know, maybe he was one of those. Um, you know, a lot of people who knew him at the time think he was one of those innate, low key geniuses and maybe couldn't verbalize it, but just really knew what was going on. Maybe. Um, just based on the fact that almost every other person from that era has, you know, cannot possibly compete anymore. I don't think Stu would be able to either. Wow. Oh, no, that, that makes, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, and, and something that you, that you mentioned that you told me and really at least, you know, kind of it made me make sense of the fact that, you know, when I told you that I play on WSOP.com, which is legal here in, in Las Vegas and Nevada uh, and, and a couple other States, what you said made perfect sense, which is 
I'm competing with some of these players that are the best players in the country, maybe in the world, in the world, probably some of the best in the world, for sure. Some of the best in the world. So it made me feel better about, you know, always either bubbling or getting close, but not quite making it because, you know, it, it just takes that extra little percentage or whatever, which sometimes I'm not finding. And it's because I am competing against these these uh, these players, I've done better on another platform that's more of a of a, of a what's it called a sweepstakes. I don't know if I, if yeah. I meant or, or not, but um, you know, and I I think because there were more players from all over the world that were just kind of trying it out, and just by playing solid, I was I've been able to do pretty well there. But yeah, on WSOP.com, you're right. It's that level of of player is it's like, imperceptible too when you're playing poker, right? Like. When you just get owned playing poker, it's hard to know sometimes if you got unlucky, if you played it bad, if like, oh, it was just going to happen like that. And that's why you really never know what's going on in poker in, if you just look at one tournament. If you, you have to look at thousands and probably tens of thousands of tournaments uh, to find out you know, what, what is skill and what is luck. But yeah, to, the, to that one thing that when you're playing on WSOP.com, yes, some of the best players in the world – are playing on WSOP.com, especially during the big events. Uh, and then on your poker subscription, some of the worst players in the world are playing on there because um, if they were the best players in the world, they'd be playing elsewhere and not on the subscription thing. So you're seeing, oh, wow, turns out there is a difference in this game of skill that I'm somewhere between these people and these people, which is where where most of us are. Um but yeah, I mean, like you know, th- that's that's just how it's going to work out. And and for those that are like, oh, it's just luck, it's all luck. I mean, then why do the same people seem to always finish at the top and and do well? So so there's it's definitely this game of skill. And I didn't realize, you know, the depth of 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 trying to solve these poker equations and problems are. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot to it. How are you as a poker player? Because I mean, terrible. Even though you've seen thousands of hours and did commentary for thousands of hours, I don't. Uh, my ability to apply those principles is not great in my own situation. Mostly because I don't have the disregard for the money that most people have to be good at the game. So if you know you're playing against playing me again poker paul and you know that i really care about the money there are mistakes you can get me to make um because i'm not treating the money as a tool i'm treating it as money and so even though i have a lot of poker knowledge my ability to apply it isn't great because i still am timid about the money a and b when i beat people at poker i feel bad (laughs) all right and so if i don't have the drive to win and i actually really care about losing the sweet spot for playing poker for me is a difficult one to find because what am i really doing there if i don't want to win and i really hate losing it really bugs me to lose so my sweet spot is to play poker as a social game to go play one dollar two dollar with friends have a bunch of beers, mess around, win or lose. The money doesn't really mean anything. I don't feel bad about winning. 
I don't feel that – I still feel a little bad about losing, but not that bad, especially if I've had a good time and a night out. So for me, that's what poker is always going to be. And the times when – I do sometimes get a little jealous when I see people winning big money and uh, going deep in poker tournaments. And so I'll, every once in a while, I'll take a crack at a poker tournament. I'm talking like at most like a $1,000 buy-in. Um, I just played one in in London that was an 1100 pound buy-in. So that one's a little bit more $1,500, but like I was shaking. I was, you know, I was shaking playing for a $1,500 poker tournament. So that's, that's about it for me. That's about all I can handle. And so, and I am notoriously, in addition to all of that, insanely, famously unlucky at poker. (laughs) Okay. Um, I, uh, I, people call it when something unlucky happens in, in my home game, people say, oh, that was very Stapletonian, which has <laughs> happened. It's named wow. after me. Right, so, right. So, um, so between those things, like, I'm just not, I'm just not a good player, um, long and the short of it, but I do have a lot of fun splashing around in there. That's, that's wonderful. And do, do you think people play you differently because of who you are? And- yes. Oh Yeah. Yeah, they um, they know that I I'm probably a little bit intimidated, and they also um, and this is something that works out if you're a lucky poker player or just a not unlucky poker player is they want to just play pots with me because it's fun. Oh, I want to play a pot against Stapes. Like imagine, you know, you're at Commerce Casino or the Deer, whatever you've played casino before. I don't know where it is, right? And and like John Ham's at the table. You're like, ah, I got to play a hand with John Ham. Not to sure. say that I'm John Ham, but people are like, oh, I got to play a pot with Stapes. And so I get aces cracked by like a lot of eight threes and jack fours. And, you know, in the long run, statistically, my aces will win and I'll eventually end up winning money against people who play those hands against me. But in the short term, which means because I don't play a lot of poker, I've lost, you know, a lot of money. To, to people playing those hands because they want to goof around and play with me. So yes, they do. They do play a little bit differently against me also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I know exactly what you're saying about, because I, you know, for, for the, you know, 10, 12 years that I've been here in, in Vegas, my goal was like, when I moved to LA, I'm going to golf every day. I'm going to become great at golf. My goal was the same thing. I'm going to play poker every day. I'm going to come, you know, that doesn't happen because you get busy. It's, it's, it's very time consuming. Uh, and I think the biggest tournament I've ever, ever uh, come out of pocket was in, in LA, like at the bike or w- 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 commerce or one of those. And it was for like 350 bucks. And even that I was kind of like, uh, it's a lot of money, you know? And luckily I made like a hundred bucks. It, I got back 450 and I, again, I finished right on the bubble 13th place. Um, yeah. So, so I got the, I, I made a hundred bucks, but it was, it was like, uh, so, so now that I have a few entries, that are worth like 1100 but I won them because I paid 50 bucks a month for this app or for, you know, for, for this uh, subscription. Now I'm okay because if I don't use it, I lose it, but I'm not coming out of pocket 1100 bucks. So I don't know what it's going to be like to play. The biggest one was at the last world series of poker where it was for $888 that I won through the app again, the first month that I was on there. So I was like, Oh, this is going to be easy. 50 bucks a month, but you know, it hasn't been that easy, but, um, you know, but I would have never come out of pocket 888 bucks to play. So it was yeah. a great experience. And and I'm looking forward to 
you know, the Venetian where they have a, an $1,100 buy-in. Or I'm also seeing if I can just buy into smaller ones that are two or three hundred with the money from from the from the from the subscription. So I'm kind of the same way. It's it's uh, but that's why I like tournaments because I know here's the money. Yeah, it's, gone. it's, it's I I did the buy as opposed to playing cash games, which yeah I don't I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, so no, of course, and that's why a lot of people do prefer tournaments. It's a set price, right? Although most tournaments now have multiple reentries, so you're not really sure what the set price is. But let's say it's a in a perfect world, it's it is a, a single entry, a freeze out, as we like to call it. Um, yeah, it's a set price. Here's my issue, and I guess because you satellite it in, um, you know, via your subscription service or whatever, maybe you don't have the same feeling. But for me, even if it's a one buy-in and even if let's say I got, I'm not even, I haven't paid a dime to get in. I still don't want to go broke in level one. Right. So when I have, you know, when I have pocket tens and level one and I raise and someone re-raise and I'm supposed to move all in with my pocket tens, sometimes I don't because um, I'm afraid to to be done in the first level and even though i didn't spend eleven hundred dollars to get in my chance at winning eighteen hundred dollars if i'm in cash uh is gone if i'm done with this hand and i came all the way down here and i drove all the way this thing and i'm um probably not going to get another chance to play for another couple months and you know that's a mistake you can't you know you you need to so one thing i would say to you that i need to learn for a bit of myself you said you just keep going out like on the bubble or just before the bubble or whatever so part of what good poker players do is they play more aggressive early on. So when they get to the bubble, they have, they're either out of the tournament or they have a lot of chips. So they don't have to worry on the bubble. They don't have to go out on the bubble. And one thing that I never do is I never go broke in a poker tournament in level one, two, or three, but I go broke in a poker tournament right before the money every time. And to be honest, I should be going out the poker tournament and level one, two or three sometimes. Right. Right. Because now when you get there to the money, you don't have enough ammunition to, to, to finish in the money. That That's, that's, I think I'm kind of in that, in that same, same boat where um, I, I will play more hands early on. I'll, I'll yeah, go. We all do. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, but then, you know, the, the money's coming up and, and it's f- almost 50, 50, some of them, it's, but then it's like, Oh man, I min cash, which is great. At least I got my money back and made a little bit uh, or I, I, I lost it, you know? So it, it's like, yeah, we, I shouldn't be in that situation. So <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. That finishing in like the top, you know, 20%, but not making the top 12 for the cash is like really frustrating. And we all go through it. Um, you know, it's it, that really is the most important step is to figure out, well, how do I make it so that when, you know, we're 10 from the money, I don't have eight big blinds. And that generally comes from accumulating more chips sooner, uh, which often means it's not so much the play of that we make that's bad when we go out of the tournament. It's the rest of the tournament where we didn't play well enough. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you uh, do people invite you to tournaments where, where, where they, they pay for your buy in as a celebrity, as a poker celebrity and things like that? And do you take advantage of that every once in a while? Yeah, every once in a while, I try to take advantage of it as much as I can, because not only is it, you know, more or less 
free money if I could ever, ever, ever cash, which I haven't, by the way, in all the times it's ever been uh, offered to me. I've never once made a nickel off of it. Um, but it's also good for me to be on the scene and uh, people like to hang out with me and like to keep my sort of my image uh, alive and well as being somebody that's fun to hang out with. And, um, you know, when I go on work trips and I'm doing commentary, I don't get to hang out with anybody. I don't get to see anybody. We work from about, you know, 10 a.m. to at least 10 p.m. most nights. So it's not like I can go out and really socialize afterwards. So it's cool to be able to go to other events where I'm not working and do my hanging out with people that way. Wow, wonderful. Yeah, thank, thank you for sharing all that. And you said Poker Stars, that was your first. How did they find you then? I can't remember if we actually. I've been doing podcasts basically. I was, I had like, I, I did a, my first job in poker was a tournament reporter. And then my second job in poker was a like little video producer uh, for card player magazine. And then my third job in poker, I was hosting a podcast uh, that was more or less sponsored by full tilt. And from that moment forward, people in the poker world really just, were super cool to me and loved everything I did and were like really generous with their time and their compliments. And so when poker stars was doing this new show called the big game in 2009, Daniel Negreanu was a fan. Um, he and Barry Greenstein and a guy named John Caldwell, who all worked at poker stars at the time um, were all big Joe Stapleton fans. And they said, look, if you want to have the best poker show on TV, we think this is your guy. We think this is the guy that can actually make poker fun and funny. And they took a shot on me and it ended up working out for everybody. Wonderful. How'd you come up with my babies? Do you know what? So um, there was a writer on Mad TV named Stephen Craig. Sure. And I just looked up to him so much. I just thought he was the funniest guy and really loved his sketches. And he did a one man show called I am not Mark Twain and every every once in a while he'd be this we're one of these and he was dressed as Mark Twain and doing this Mark Twain impression for the whole show and he'd be like well let me tell you something my babies and then and he would say my babies every once in a while throughout the course of the show well that's not how things went down my babies and I as a joke was doing a, a rehearsal for a podcast for a poker podcast. And they're like, and go, you're live. And I go, hello, my babies as a joke. <laughs> and then they let me leave rehearsal because they had what they needed from me. And they had the two sound guys sit in the host chair to keep doing tests. And they kept going, hello, my babies. Hello, my babies. Hello, my babies. And making fun of me for saying hello, my babies. And then the next show, I did it for real then to make fun of them making fun of me. And then it just stuck. <laughs> so, and then Chris D'Elia started doing it, which kind of was annoying. I, I mean, I don't think he stole it from me or anything, but people be like, oh, you and Chris D'Elia say the same thing. And I'm like, we don't need to get into this, but I'm pretty sure I can dig up evidence of me doing it as early as 2012 or 2013. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And who do you think came up with the facial hair then first, you or Chris? Uh, I, Chris seems like the kind of guy that would have looked like that since he was like 11 or 12 years old. So yeah, probably <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, 
you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I know beards are, are in and whatnot, but yours has always been kind of like this five o'clock shadow. And is that something that you had to run through by the producers or you just showed up unshaven and they were like, yeah, perfect. That's a really good question. So I've always had this because I moved to LA when I was only 20 and I needed to look older. Um, so I wanted, you know, I didn't want people to know I was 20 years old. You know, I had to show a fake ID to get into the premiere party for Mad TV the first year we got there. So, um, so I always had the beard to look older. And then what happened was when I got considered for the big game, there was talk of me. I, I auditioned for a show on ESPN and they told me that I was going to have to shave if I got the job. Then I ended up getting a job on the big game and they were like, oh, we're not sure how we feel about the beard. You know, it's sports. You don't really have beards and, you know, sports casters don't really have beards. And I was able to sell them on the fact that I was already a personality in the poker world. And this was my established look. <laughs> and then after that, I, ended up, I did get, end up getting that ESPN job a year later. And I was able to sell to them the same story. Hey, I know you don't do beards in ESPN, but this is my established look. And then and that shows never end up airing on ESPN anyway, because uh, black Friday happened before they could air. So, but yeah, I, the beard is luckily now I don't have to sell it as part of my established look anymore. It is my established look. Nobody really fucks with me. Just occasionally they're like, do you think you could take it down a little bit? But here's my trick, Paul. I only trim my beard in hotel bathrooms. Smart. I just don't want to clean that shit up. I'm a good tipper. I'll leave a nice tip either way, but I don't want to deal with the drains and everything. No, it's fine. I'm going to wait till I get, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm saving this beard for Monte Carlo on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where I do all my grooming top and bottom. So Monte uh, Carlo, you haven't lived till you have trimmed your balls in on the French Riviera. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't mean body college, I just meant a, a hotel room in general. Uh, and, uh, that, that's why I do, do, do my maintenance, but I would, of course, I would love to visit, uh, Monte Carlo and, 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 and trim my balls on the French Riviera. <laughs> You've not lived, I would imagine. Um, that's, that is so exciting. Uh, are you going by yourself? Do you need somebody to go with you? You let me know if you do. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for the offer. I feel like my girlfriend, uh, would probably be my first choice. And then her girlfriend would be my second choice. But like your top eight, maybe. I, you know what? From all the people that we know, <laughs> of all the celebrities, I want to say thank you because to, to, I mean, I feel like we're back on Facebook, so I'm I'm in your top eight. I would like to see you smoking a cigar in in the Cote d'Azur. Oh, I would love nothing more. I'll bring all the cigars for for, for all the for all the fellas and the ladies, of course. Uh, well, wonderful, Joe. Um, what else would you like to touch on? I don't know how long you want to go. Cause what, what time we got? I don't even know what time it's it is. Almost 1 PM Pacific. Okay. We're, I, you're in LA, right? Yeah. I gotta, I got, I did not budget for more than 90 minutes for this. So I gotta go. Um, this is when we hit, perfect. I don't know if you have a, a spiel you gotta do. No, I just, uh, well, I just want to say thank you, Joe, uh, for taking time out of your busy day. I'm glad you got to kind of, you know, also connect with uh, Chris Kloos and thank you for popping into that show. Uh, and uh, most importantly, thank you for being here. And everyone in the audience, thank you guys for being here and, and for participating and listening. And uh, I'll send you the link, Joe, and you can reshare it if, if you're so inclined. But uh, that's, that's the most, it's great to always chat with you. And I can't wait to work with you 
either here in Vegas or in the poker world or in the comedy world. Uh, and thank you for bringing up these great memories, Joe. Thank you. Of course, Paul. Thanks for having me, man. It was, it was a blast. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, that's, um, I'll invite the wait bot up. And Joe, thank you and uh, safe travels. And I'll probably talk to you before you uh, go to Monte Carlo and shave your balls. So th- thank you for doing the show. Either way, buddy. See you in Vegas soon.